Chapter 52 of The Social War of 1900, or The Conspirators and Lovers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Meg Teresek. The Social War of 1900, or The Conspirators and Lovers, by Simon Landis. Chapter 52. Lucinda bites Deacon Stew's ear nearly off. When Deacon Rob Stew, the physician-in-chief, and managers were suddenly driven out of Miss Armington's cell by the handsome maneuver of the young heroine with the empty pistol, the deacon was determined to pay her a visit as soon as convenient, some evening, when he could bribe a few of the keepers to handcuff her for him. Then surely he would be master over the proud and fearless girl. However, he did not expect that he would be so roughly handled by his own people before he would have the pleasure of treating himself to a coercive interview with Miss Armington. As soon as he was right well again, he made his evening visit to the asylum and bribed George and William to join him at eight o'clock that evening to go with him to her cell, and said he to them, I have a pair of excellent handcuffs here, which I want you to put securely on her wrists, joining her hands behind her back, so that she cannot strike me with them, and be sure that you graduate them so she cannot slip them off. By this screw you can make them larger or smaller, and when you have done it, come out, and I will go into her and when I have done with her, I will come out and let you go in and remove the cuffs again. I also want you to turn the gas on in her cell, and light a glimmer, so I can have light, should I desire it. Now go in, seize and handcuff her. But should she scream, and we be detected? responded one of them. Never mind, said his deaconship. She will not scream. She is not of that sort. "'but she may fight you like an infuriated demon. "'Therefore, do not give her an idea of your intentions "'until you have an opportunity to grasp her hands.' "'Oh, never fear,' said George. "'We understand how to handle strange lunatics. "'Why should we hesitate or fail to manage a weak lady like her?' "'Laughing at the absurdity of such caution by the deacon.' "'All right,' interposed the deacon. "'Only you secure her before you come out of her cell. "'One thing more. "'She has that revolver in her possession, "'with which she shot at some of you several weeks since. "'But it is empty. "'Of this I assure you. "'Therefore, should she threaten to shoot you with it, "'be not afraid of that.' "'Enough!' ejaculated they simultaneously. "'and made their ingress to her presence. "'The pure and innocent maiden was sitting by her table, "'with her elbows resting upon it, "'and her hands to her face, "'whilst her eyes were turned toward the skylight overhead, "'from which the light of day still caused a glimmer "'to descend into her cell. "'Suddenly she heard the presence of George and William.' when she sprang to her feet and ejaculated, "'Who's there?' 
"'And what do you want at this unseasonable hour of the day?' "'They advanced toward her, without saying a word, "'when she said, fiercely, "'Stop, or I'll shoot you. "'Your threats are barren, for your pistol is empty. "'We know what we are about.' exclaimed George, and fearlessly advanced, when she dealt him a blow with the heavy revolver that sent him spinning like a wheel. William now tried his hand, when he also received a dangerous blow on the top of his head, which struck him dumb to the floor. Having thus disabled her enemies, she boldly stood still, preparing herself for a second blow, should they advance again. In a few moments, George scrambled up and said, "'Miss Armington, we do not wish to harm you, nor did we come here of our own accord to insult you, but we were ordered here—' "'Who ordered you? And what to do?' interrupted the heroine in a defiant air. Silence reigned for several minutes, when a deep groan came from the place where George lay, when George said, you have killed him. What is that to me? And I kindly tell you, unless you leave me, I will kill you both. Mark me, said she. The deacon heard that a terrible scuffle was going on inside of the cell. When he opened the outside door, however, carefully allowing the inner gate to remain locked, he saw William sitting on the floor in a position as though he was going to rise to his feet, but was unable to do so. George was standing in front of William, parleying with Miss Armington, whose back was turned toward the door. The deacon now made a noise as if he was going to come in, which caused Miss Armington to turn partly around, and when she saw someone coming she felt lost, as she could not guard before and behind herself. Therefore, she expected to be overpowered. But she made up her mind to warm the monsters before they could secure her. As she turned toward the door, George grasped both her arms from behind, which made her almost powerless. Still, she tussled a good while with him before he succeeded in handcuffing her. She knocked his handcuffs twice to the floor, and had not William been able to put the first one on, he probably never would have gotten them on. William was still stupefied, and it was all he could do to fasten the cuff on her delicate wrist. Of course, when this first arm was secured, George had an easy time to fasten the second one, which, when done, he let go of the young lady's person. When the deacon saw this, he asked, have you handcuffed her securely? Yes, replied George. Then I will come in, said he. Oh, you most miserable coward! I thought it was your pusillanimous work, ejaculated the persecuted young lady. Truly, miss, I made up my mind to be even with you, said the deacon, and giving the boys orders to leave, he closed the door whilst all this time Miss Armington was very docile, acting as though she would submit to anything, almost. She thought, I'll throw the pious coward off his guard until I see an opportunity to punish him. 
The saintly deacon now began to abuse her. He blackguarded her, said that he thought he would get her in a position that he could easily manage her, and he now had her, that he intended to often visit her this hour of the night, when he could have the services of the men to handcuff her for him, and, continued he, I mean to use you just as I please, since you refuse to become my wife. However, I will again say that if you will voluntarily marry me, I will not force you to become as good as my wife. Now choose between the two, for I shall conquer you. Do you think so? said she. I know so, interposed his holiness, for the Lord is always on the side of his elect. At this moment he placed his arm around her waist, and pulled her to his breast. She submitting gracefully, only she turned her face aside when he kissed her on the cheek. Suddenly she took his long ear into her mouth, and bit it until the deacon fairly yelled, Murder! Murder! End of chapter 52 Recording by Meg Turasek.